Welcome to part two of the Brackets, Bubbles, and Bid Steelers Conference Preview Marathon. We did the Big East earlier, and now it's time to talk about the Atlantic Coast Conference. Sam Fetterman, Jonathan Linskin, and we are joined by Tristan Freeman from Busting Brackets. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing great. How are you guys doing? Well, as always. Great. I'm doing always. great. And I will announce that we have successfully rescheduled the Pac-12. Um, that will be after this at 11 p.m. Um, so we figured that out, but it's time to talk about the ACC, which is kind of a declining conference in the basketball landscape. Yeah. Over the last couple of seasons. And honestly, I really blame Virginia and Florida state for this. I know Virginia has been, um, at the top of the league for the most part, but since the national championship, they obviously have no NCAA tournament wins and, they haven't really been that national contender that they once were. And then Florida State the last couple of years has just completely fell off the face of the earth. So I think Louisville. I blame those two. Louisville also definitely deserves Yeah, play. that's true as well. Tristan, what do you think about the ACC's standing nationally? Yeah, I mean, in the new world of realignment, you're seeing the Big 12 make a lot of moves. They're, they're going to be adding – uh, Arizona already have Houston, so they've sort of set themselves up nicely. The SEC and uh, Big Ten have sort of separated themselves. And now with, with the past few coaching moves, the Big East, now thanks to Rick Pitino rejo- rejoining, they're going to be set. And the ACC has sort of been sputtering. And, and it's always been a league that's been relying on Duke and North Carolina to sort of lead the way and be Final Four contenders. And hopefully you find a couple other teams. It, it was Virginia in the past five years. Miami joined them. But the bottom has really fell off. I mean, the past couple of years, Louisville's been awful. Florida State was absolutely dreadful last year. Notre Dame was awful. Pitt just finally got back from the basement. So the the reality of the ACC having probably the worst bottom next to the Pac-12 has sort of lowered their chances of getting six, seven, eight bids. And, and now they're sort of hoping to sort of get back to that level where they can sort of compete with the other power conferences because now they're starting to fall, they drift, drift away. Yeah, I, I think if you look at the coaches in the ACC, there's significantly more coaches in the ACC that you have questions about compared to the Big 12, the Big 10, the obviously the Big East and the SEC. I mean, there's guys like, like your Steve Forbes who are really good coaches, but they haven't made an NCAA tournament yet, and you're still – wondering there and guys like Capel and Keats who are solid but still leave something to be desired so far and Brad Brownell and you're not too sure exactly what you're gonna get out of Shrewsbury at Notre Dame and is Leonard Hamilton done there's very few coaches that you can lock in any and even your top two programs with John Shire and Hubert Davis younger coaches in the program compared to the legends that they had previously we're looking at a league where there's not as much stability in the coaches at the very top. I mean, there's Larinaga and Tony Bennett, but outside of that, how many coaches are we genuinely very, very sure are legit long-term solutions that can contend for national championships? I think Shire can be there, but out like there's not other there's that many other guys that are consistently producing NCAA tournament programs. Yeah, I I think I agree with that for the most part. Um, a lot of the coaches in the league have either retired or are getting older. Um, Leonard Hamilton's probably 
pretty close to retirement at this stage in his career. Um, obviously, Louisville went through some turmoil that left them kind of in uncharted territory for the for what their program is usually at. And then, you know, they're just. I, I think eventually, we in we we might have this coach revolution in the ACC, kind kind of like what the SEC did, and then the Big East as well. Yeah, I, mean, I think I was going to say it, it's bound to happen soon. I mean, with the top schools, UNC North Carolina sort of making her transitions, the others are set to follow. And there was a chance that three of them could have happened. Three more could happen last year. Pitt, NC State, and Clemson all have head coaches on the hot seat. They did enough to keep their jobs, but who knows how long-term viable they are. Then, you know, the Earl Grant hire at Boston College, we haven't seen them take the next step. Obviously, people are looking at what Kenny, Kenny – We'll see what happens with Davis Bottomar. But compared to some of the other leagues, like the CBS, Dennis Gates, and Kansas State, and Big like those hires have not only worked, but immediately turned into a national viable program. That hasn't happened in the ACC yet. And until that does, then you're going to see the separation. Yeah. And it's now time to spin the wheel and get into this team-by-team preview of the Atlantic Coast Conference. Got them all set up, and here we go. Wheel is kind to us for the biggies. Let's see what we have here. Of course! We start start. in the city of steel with Tristan's Pitt Panthers and... There's a there's a bit of turnaround here from last year. They definitely overperformed pretty much everyone's expectations. What should the expectations be for this year's team? Yeah, I, I think last year when they didn't have Dior Johnson and John Hughley went down eight games into the year, I think the belief was they were going to be at the bottom. But when you have four senior guards led by breakout star Jamarius Burton and Nellie Cummins, the hometown guy who brought the winning culture over from Colgate, and it include Blake Henson, who completely changed his game from uh, his days at Ole Miss. It gave Pitt just enough to make the tournament. Uh, but the entire backcourt's gone. Dior Johnson's also gone now at Juco College. They're now going to rely on two freshman guards, and Jalen Lowe and Carlton Carrington. One of them's going to be a starting point guard. And, and, it, and especially in the COVID era where there's so many older transfers around, Starting a true freshman is going to be a really risky proposition if that guy's not a five-star. So that's probably where it starts and ends for Pitt. If they don't get good enough point guard play, then the rest of the roster could struggle. They brought in two solid transfers in Ishmael Leggett and Zach Austin. Zach Austin is a potential NBA prospect to watch. He, he averaged 15 and 7 at a high point and is an elite athlete. And we'll, I, I assume that's going to translate to the ACC level, but we'll see if he can shoot. And then ultimately, Blake Henson's back after averaging 16 and 6. He's going to be a first team all ACC contender, but can he be the best player on the tournament team? There's a lot of questions, but I also don't think that they're necessarily going to take a big step back because they're going to have one of the better front courts in the ACC with Federico, Federico taking another step. But then the Diaz Grand Brothers could both be breakout candidates to watch. Yeah, I think that the front court is really fascinating. A bunch of really high upside names. Federico, Diaz Graham, Diaz Graham. <laughs> These are guys that they can they can really 
they, they can really protect the rim. Uh, we saw Federico do that. We've seen guys do a lot of different things for this pit front court. Tell me where you stand on each of these, on each of these names. Yeah, with Federico, he was a former JUCO transfer that was at West Virginia, but they basically chose uh, Jimmy Bell over him because that they wanted someone with more experience. And he was originally potentially a redshirt candidate before John Hughley suffered his uh, knee injury in, in the preseason. He ends up getting forced into a role as a starting center, and he looked he definitely looked raw at first, but he was a, a, a quality interior defender went up against Armando Baycar, North Chad O'Meara, well in league play and helped lead Pitt to some wins. And you saw his offense start to develop. I, I wouldn't be surprised if, if we see him continue to grow and be someone that can give Pitt around uh, eight, nine points and, and six rebounds and a couple blocks per game. I think he's going to be really good. And then when it comes down to the Diaz-Grams brothers, we saw uh, Guillermo, who's more of a center, he started for Federico in the postseason and he looked incredibly raw, but he, he held his own against likes of Tolu Smith and the Iowa State bigs. And, and he and his brother Jorge are, are both tall, both around seven feet, both gained around 15 pounds of muscle this offseason because they are extremely uh, skinny. And they're, they're both skilled, can operate on a perimeter. And I, I think that's going to be one of the better front court rotations in, in the ACC, especially because they can space out the floor. And that's just going to make things a lot easier for the guards to operate. Yeah, I, I agree with the um, spacing of the floor, the rim protection that they'll bring to this group. It's going to be it's going to be a fun front court. I wouldn't quite call it like a surefire, like high level front court because the guys because all three guys have a lot of holes that we've seen. But I do think there's upside here. And the ceiling obviously will depend on the guards, but the floor, the floor does depend on this front court. If they can stay healthy, then I think then that I think that this pit team will definitely remain in that middle of the pack to upper middle of the pack in the ACC. Yeah. Just to quickly add in my two cents before we transition. I, I do think, the questions here, like you guys mentioned, are with the backcourt. I think the, the front court is very, very intriguing. I, I think there's a legit shot that pits the best rim protection team in the conference. They just have so much length and size with Federico and the Twins. And then obviously having an established guy on the perimeter like Henson is really big for a team that does have NCAA tournament aspirations. Again, uh it's point guard play. If they get like like Tristan said, if they get point guard play consistently, I think they're a tournament contender again. Yep. All right, let's spin the wheel once again and see where it takes us. The wheel spin will take us to Atlanta. This is a really interesting one because Georgia Tech is entering a new era. The Josh Passner plan, they didn't give they didn't give Josh Passner the 30 years that he needed to execute his plan. So they move on. Damon Stoudemire comes in and brings in a bunch of a bunch of interesting pieces, retains a bunch of interesting pieces. I think this Georgia Tech team has an unspoken ceiling almost. Yeah, I'll start here. I think 
the pieces that Georgia Tech has are really intriguing. I'm I'm interested to see how that team works because it's first year coach with some high upside guys, specifically Amari Abram, uh, Miles Kelly, Koasi Reeves. I think their guard play is going to be pretty good. I just I don't know about their front court. I, like I think Amari Abram is one of my top breakout candidates in the conference. I was really impressed with him last year at, at uh, Ole Miss, and I was also really impressed with him in high school. He's a pretty dynamic guard that can create his own shot. Um, I don't think Torvik projections are very accurate with him at all. I just I'm interested to see how uh, how Damon runs that program and what he's looking to accomplish in this first year. Yeah, I would say with, with, with Abram, the, the curiosity comes with that he he's entering a front court, a backcourt that that still returns a lot of pieces. You know, Miles Kelly, what was an All ACC caliber player at times. Debo Coleman was was a really good wing for them, and then you know bring in you know Kawasi Reeves and, and I believe Kyle Sturvian is still there too. That's a lot of depth. And you know, is there a chance that you know they just that they they all play fairly well and, and no one necessarily shines like last year? That that could be the case. I think they need someone to be a star for them to break out. But my concern is the front court, and that was the case last year when they basically had Javon Franklin at six foot seven try try to hold his own in the ACC. And this year, you know, they bring in a transfer Ty, Tyshawn Cloud, who who comes from the mid-major ranks. Ebenezer Don, uh, uh, Dona comes from NC State, but he didn't play much. I, I think it's there's a likely scenario where they're going to have to play four guards and hopefully find some kind of rim protection at the five spot. If that, if that kind of offense works and the guards can rebound, then I think they could be an in, intriguing team. But but yeah. I do have some reservations with the Yellow Jackets for now. Yeah, I think the best chance at high-level rim protection comes at Tafara Gapare with his springy athleticism. The UMass transfer is a guy that showed a ton of upside last year, but he is unbelievably raw. I'm really not sure how much run he's going to be able to get and if he's really even going to be playable that much in the ACC. But I think – They'll play four guards with Tajon Claude at the five. It's going to be small, but sometimes small works. And with the amount of talent in this backcourt, Abram is Abram, Kelly, Perry. I mean, that's three guys right there that could average 13, 14, 15. This, this team will score. They will score. And the question then comes with, will they be able to defend a wet rock? I'm not sure they will be able to. But overall, Damon Stoudemire has an interesting task ahead of him. Georgia Tech is in an interesting state because they're not a they're not a program that you'll typically think of as a basketball power, but Damon Stoudemire comes from the NBA ranks. Not a, you don't see a ton of NBA assistance in in college basketball as much as you maybe it's, it's it's more unique than i feel like it seems i think his development is something that i'm really interested to see because i think a lot of these nba guys are really good at developing talent yeah i i agree with you on that i it's just like like we've said like 
this this is a process for them. Um, this could be a program that you know they do have an, an NBA talent, but in the first couple years, they're still figuring out the pieces and putting together a roster that's competitive. But like, it kind of the thing about the ACC as a whole is we kind of saw this with Wake Forest because of the strength of the league right now in the middle and at the bottom, there's a lot of room for a team like Georgia Tech to have a breakout year and sort of put put themselves in maybe not NCAA tournament contention, but at least the top half of the league. Yeah, I think the ceiling for this team is definitely like a top half finish, but the floor is pretty outrageously low because, I mean, they don't have any semblance of like a true center on this roster. Uh, moving on to the next team that we're going to take a look at. Spin that wheel. And this wheel spin takes us to Clemson, South Carolina, where they, they overperformed last year. Mm-hmm. They lose Hunter Tyson to the NBA. They bring back PJ Hall. They bring back Chase Hunter. It's a, I, it's, and they bring in Joe Girard. They bring in Jack Clark. Jake Highbreder comes in from Air Force. There's a bunch of pieces here, but are they going to be able to sustain what they did last year? Go for it, Tristan. Yeah, I would say that Clemson sort of played Tudor level overall. I, I think the losses to Boston College and Louisville sort of put them where they should have been after their 10 and 0 start because they're a quality offense, but just they can just be really poor on defense. And I'm not sure if they got better on that end, adding Gerard, pairing him with Chase Hunter in the backcourt and, and either uh, Alex Hemingway or Hybrunner. That, that's going to be a rough one. And, and Clark was a good role player uh, as a undersized forward at, at NC State, but I'm not sure if he moves to needle. Ultimately, it's going to come down to how well a healthy P.J. Hall plays all season. And then Chase Hunter is quietly one of the more underrated point guards in the ACC. I think they'll probably have the best offense, even, even probably even just as good as Duke. But the defense could be poor enough to where they're going to end up back on the bubble situation because they're going to be very vulnerable to upsets all throughout league play. Yeah, I don't think they added it. I don't think they really added anything on the defensive end that makes me say this team's going to be better than it was last year. And I honestly... I was always skeptical of Clemson last year, and I'm going to continue to be skeptical of Clemson. I don't trust Brad Brown all that much. I don't think, I don't think he's a great coach. I, I mean, he's sure they've developed some decent guys. PJ Hall's pretty darn good. Um, Tyson was obviously really good, but I mean, Tyson. When you lose an NBA guy, they, they didn't bring in an NBA guy. They. That Joe Girard is not a suitable scoring replacement. For Hunter Tyson, I'm, I mean, in terms of efficiency, it's just not even close. Joe Girard is not a suitable efficiency scoring replacement for me. Um, this is a guy that has kind of proven to be very inefficient offensively. Can shoot every once in a while, but that's about it. I mean, he's not the greatest at getting to the basket. There's times where 
there's stretches of play where he's great, but more often than not, it's really bad. And he's a pretty terrible defender. I don't really, I don't really think he solves any need for them. I didn't really understand bringing him in. Hydebreder can shoot. We know that Clark is like, a, it's a role player. I mean, he's, he's a role player. They didn't, Find they didn't replace Hunter Tyson with anything that remotely matches him, and to that end, I just don't see how Clemson can really improve that much. Yeah, I'll start with the things I like about them. I really like PJ Hall, obviously. I really like their backcourt depth, and I really like how they'll space the floor. What I worry about is. Like, their offense is obviously going to go through P.J. Hall. Not, like, it, it should. Not if Joe Girard has anything to say about it. That's <laughs> that's what my worry is. My worry is that – and I I want to use the, the term ball stopper because, like, I, I, that's what I kind of think Joe Girard is. He's a guy that disrupts his team's flow of the offense. And sure, like, he, he can score. He, he can put the ball in the basket. But he never has done it super efficiently. Uh, he takes some pretty bad shots, and he's not a guy that shares the ball really well. I personally think that the best move for Clemson is playing Gerard off the ball, and Chase Hunter handles the point guard duties. I think they would be pretty foolish to do otherwise, because if they do that and you're constantly getting all touches despite the defensive efficiencies, that's probably how Clemson reaches their ceiling. I mean, I still think – Gerard is going to get a ton of touches, even if he plays off the ball. Mm-hmm. And it's all about just like, is he going to make <sighs> shots? Is he going to make shots? Is he going to take good shots? And I just don't, he, he's proven through the years. It's, it's not like he's, it's not like I can look at him and say, all right, it'll get better. It, I, you, we've said that for four years with him. It's not going to get better. Yeah, I will say, though, the Syracuse offense that he was part of was not conducive to actual ball movement. It was basically you go, I go, whether it was Judah Mintz or, or with Buddy Beheim before. Like, Gerard being the point guard in, in that offense where there really wasn't many creators, it was sort of like he had to do it. I don't think he'll have that kind of pressure when you have Chase Hunter running the offense now. So I do think he'll he'll be more efficient. And, again, it's up to Brownell to be like, hey, the ball goes through P.J. Hall first. Chase Hunter is going to be directing the offense, and you just have to get in. He can still get his 15 points per game in that system. He just, It just has to be, A, efficient, and, B, not go through him because at times when he is inefficient, it, it could really hurt them. But I do think he'll ultimately be an upgrade over Brevin Galloway for Clemson. Yeah, I can see that, but – that doesn't address the fact that they still lost an NBA player and they didn't replace him. And that's, that's the, that's kind of the crux of the whole issue with Clemson is that they're trying to get the scoring output from an NBA player out of Joe Girard. And I don't see how that ends well for them. Now, Brad Brown out, kind of coached his way slightly like he, he coached his way to like the seat being slightly less warm. Yeah. No, but I think he's still on the hot seat a little bit. I think we'd be having a different, I think this conversation would be different if he didn't lose to Louisville. Cause if they don't lose to Louisville, like 
They're probably in the NCAA tournament. And an NCAA tournament appearance, who, who knows how many games they win, if any, but an NCAA At tournament. Clemson, appearance that'll buy you a few days. years. Huh? At Clemson, that buys you a few years. Mm-hmm. I think the but first I- half of the season put him safe. And then last month when you lose to Clemson, and then you lose in the first round at home in the NIT to to a, a, a low-level mid-major, that sort of just put a really sour taste in the mouth. I don't think Cle- deep down Clemson really doesn't want to fire him. They, they had the chance. But considering how many seniors are on this roster, Hunter's leaving, Gerard's leaving, Clark's leaving, uh, and then Hall I, almost assuredly, he almost left this offseason because he was a really good uh, player in a G League draft combine. He's going to lead too. So if you're Clemson and, and you don't have a good enough year, the entire course is going to be gone. It'll be the perfect time to just start over with someone else. Yeah, I think that's that's the that's probably the way that they should think, regardless of if they actually do it. Because I, I mean, do they even care enough about basketball to do that? That's that's another question. Do they care enough to to go on a search at this point? And let's keep moving through the ACC. All right, Boston College. There's really not much here. This this seems pretty bad. There was some uh, some Twitter drama. There's some hype for this team that I just don't buy. They've they they have like one they, they've Quinton Post, he's really good, obviously. And maybe Claudel Harris Jr. is gonna be pretty good. He's probably their second leading scorer, but we I'm not too confident in him being the second leading scorer on a team that can make a postseason. Like outside of that, do they have really any talent at all that we trust as genuinely good. I mean, McLaughlin can do certain things, but there's a lot of things that he can't do. And Earl Grant. Prince Oligbe will take a leap. What'd you say? I think Prince Oligbe will take a leap. Yeah, definitely a leap, but I think the leap would have to be Olympic high jumper to get them into the NIT. Yeah, I just, I like Clinton Post. I think he's one of, one of the few like bigs in the ACC that give me gives me worries offensively. Um, if you were on uh, any other team, it would he he would be he would give me a lot more worries. But since he's on since he's at this 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 Boston College team, it doesn't worry me as much as his talent level deserves. Mm-hmm. I mean. Be, uh, Boston College did go 9-11 and in ACC play. It was like the quietest nine-win league campaign. They they were they were pretty feisty once Post came back. And I think that the idea is, hey, if Post can play like he did the entire year, they'll have the star needed to have at least some kind of floor, and then you just need some kind of consistent guard play. They really haven't had that. I don't think – I think maybe with some of the other guys gone now that Jayton Zachary could take over and sort of be that guy for them. Mason Madsen's a solid shooter. As you mentioned, Claudel Harris could be the key transfer they needed. They're, 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 they're a weird team because they're capable of putting up a really good fight, 
but then they're also capable of just losing to anyone. And I don't care whether you have post or not. You shouldn't be losing to Maine and Tarleton State in the non-conference. You, you you have enough power conference talent that you should have been able to beat them. So I'm kind of wondering, you know, what the Earl Grant experience is, is, is going to continue looking like going forward. They have a solid couple past couple recruiting class and 2024 classes building, but I do want to see what the likes of Prince Alibe and Chas Kelly can do, likely with bigger roles. And I don't see them getting out of the bottom four until they can prove they can be consistently a threat. But I also wouldn't want to play them on a sleepy Tuesday night because they do have the capabilities to just knock someone off the bubble. Yeah, this is going to be kind of like a niche thing, but they kind of have like an ACC Marist vibe to them where it's like, they have the star big man who can shoot the three and do everything, but there is no semblance of consistency whatsoever from the guards. And I don't, I don't see, I don't think, I think there's guards that on a given day could be a great, could be a great impact, but there's nobody that sticks out to me as a talented enough player to bring this team to true relevance. It's, 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 it's going to be hard. I just, I think talent wise, they're probably the third worst team, but again, it, they, 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 they can be feisty and that's all. That's the last thing you want if you're at ACC trying to get seven or eight bids, but I, I think we're going to have to prove it just before you think that it can be a top eight team. Yeah. Like, I would not be surprised if at some point in the season a tournament team loses their loses their tournament chance against Boston College. Because on a given night, if Quinton Post is at if Quinton Post who can drop 25-30 on a given night has another guy out there that shoots really well that day, then hey, this is a team that is solid enough defensively at least last year they were not awful defensively where they can pull out a win against a bubble team. But pull out a win against a bubble team, using that language in itself kind of shows where I feel about, how I feel about this program and where they are. All right. Moving on to the next team we're going to discuss. We'll be taking two. Ah, Chapel Hill. Be a good one. So, North Carolina, they were defending the national championship that they didn't win last year. <laughs> it was national championship hangover from a team that didn't win the national championship. They were they, they weren't built for it. Like Caleb Love was inconsistent. RJ Davis was inconsistent. Pete Nance was maybe half the player Brady Manick was. Um, and, and Baycott was great, obviously, but he got people act like he was people acted like he was this superstar that he wasn't. He's obviously a superstar, but I think people oversold him. And they oversold this UNC team. And now I feel like I might be underselling them. Yeah. Like, there were times last year when 
UNC was better with Pete Nance off the floor. And, like, as someone from, like, the Chicagoland area that saw Northwestern play a ton, like, I told, I said right away that, like, Pete Nance wasn't Brady Manick. Like, Brady Manick was legitimately one of the best players in the country down the stretch for UNC. He did so many important things for them that were, frankly, irreplaceable in the system they wanted to run. This season, I think UNC's put together a really interesting roster, construction-wise, that I think is probably going to work to some extent, definitely more than, than, than last year. I think UNC last year lacked a true point guard. Like, I think R.J. Davis can play point guard, but I think he's better fit off ball. And then, obviously, Caleb Love is better fit off ball, too. And Seth, Seth Trimble is, like, kind of a combo guard, but also not the greatest passer in the world. Bringing nice. in a guy like Elliot Cadeau and, and a guy like Harrison Ingram, both who are, like, capable passers, can play on ball and make plays – I think is really important for them. And then they added shooting as well with Cormac Ryan and Pax and Wojcik. I think this team is Hubert Davis in general did a really good job in the offseason addressing some of their needs. And I'm just very interested to see how he's going to play this team to get it right. Yeah, I will mention North Carolina last year, dead last in the ACC in effective field goal percentage, dead last in the ACC in three point percentage. 13th in the ACC in assist rate. They didn't have a single player with an assist rate higher than 18. They only had two players with an assist rate higher than 12. So Elliot Cadeau is just such a huge improvement over that. He's one of the best passers in the country. Yeah, I'm going to be interested to see how a reclass player does because there's a history of struggles and, and if Kado has his grown pains then that that could be a problem for UNC and then as far as the four spot goes you're going to ha- play either Harrison Ingram who isn't much of a shooter or Jay or Jalen Withers who could shoot but was on a Louisville team that was historically awful and I'm just not sure how a, a player who's on Louisville and a player in Cormac Ryan, who's a good shooter, but he was also on an awful Notre Dame team. Guys who were, were basically losers at previous stops coming in to sort of help give a winning culture to the Tar Heels, who outside of a March Madness run has basically been mediocre the past couple of years. I mean, it, it's kind of is who, who they are. Armando Bacon a lot of times gives empty calories for stats. RJ Davis, you know, he doesn't get – the, the, the criticism that Caleb Love gotten, but his numbers were, were fairly similar. And there were times that he disappears when it comes when he's the, the top offensive option. So I, I I personally have had UNC sort of outside the top 25 in the 25 to 30 range because they have talent, but I'm not sure how much they got better. And it, it, if the hope is well they have much better culture and much better chemistry okay, but I'm going to have to wait to see that on the floor until that happens and to see if this team can defend because I have true questions about that if you have Withers and, and Cormac Ryan out there for extended period of time. Yeah, yeah. I, think, I think as a whole, North Carolina is probably a little less talented than last year, but 
they're actually cohesive as a team this year. They have playmaking, they have shooting, they have rebounding. Now, Leaky Black's defense will definitely be missed. He was such an incredible um, player on that end. But I do think this North Carolina team is probably a little bit better than last year in in the idea that they fit. It makes sense. You can see how Harrison Ingram, Cormac Ryan, um, RJ Davis, Elliot Cadeau, and Armando Baycott works as a unit. I feel like that's a more cohesive unit than what they ran last year, even if it's less talented. Yeah, I think the defense, with, with specifically with Leaky Black, is a really interesting point because like UNC was fine defensively, but they were third in the ACC in defense. Yeah, I think that may say more about the conference than absolutely. UNC. Um, but like losing a perimeter defender like Leaky Black. It's it's hard to replace. Like it's one of those things that kind of goes unspoken throughout the offseason because you know Leaky's never a guy that's gonna score double digits or even close to it, or do really anything notable on the offensive end. But it's just something you realize like a couple months into the season when UNC's struggling in that particular area, and you think to yourself like, yeah, maybe we underestimated this, maybe this was more important than we realized. Yeah. And they also, um, they also bring in a bunch of, I mean, outside of just Elliot Cadell, they have Zayden high coming in who I actually like a little bit. I think he's a solid piece in that front court. I don't think he's going to get a ton of run immediately, but I think, I think he's a, I think he's an interesting guy there. Um, Seth Trimble and Jalen Washington are pieces to look out for. And they also brought in James Aconquo pretty late in the process. It will come down whether or not Hubert actually plays his bench. Yeah, and I, I feel like he'll he'll be forced to play his bench a little bit more just based on how how it's gone last year with where he realized, damn, I, I need to use this bench because these guys aren't these guys aren't it's, it's never going to work out if you just have the same five guys on the court at all times at this level it's just not you have to play a bench and there's more talent on this bench than i think maybe it gets credit for because we just never saw it last year so we just only think about the first five but the next five is like playable there's i mean trimble in washington Washington could have had Washington. I know Jonathan, you liked last year a lot. Yeah. Uh, coming into the season, um, coming into the season, I had questions about um, his health, but you know, he's six ten and can really step out and shoot it, which I think was probably an, it was a necessity for sure for, for UNC. I think, like him not being healthy at the start of the season probably hurt them out of the gate. Yeah. Um next up we're do you do you guys have anything else to say about North Carolina? No. That's it for me. I feel like a oh, Paxman Moshik also will play an interesting role off the bench. Mm-hmm. I'm curious to see how much they use him. All right. 
keep going. So got most of the top half of this conference to discuss. Florida State. This is one that a lot for this team depends on whether Primo Spears is able to get his waiver to play this season. But I think it's I think Florida State's talented, and I still believe in Leonard Hamilton. This is like my last chance saloon for Leonard Hamilton. It doesn't go well this year. I'm going to say he's washed up as a coach. But I think last year, the injuries threw him off a lot, and there's still a good coach in there. I think the last two years, the injuries have thrown them off a lot. You know, like, and it's not just injuries either. They were hit with that Bob Miller suspension, like, right before the season last year, and he ended up missing, what was it, like a half the season pretty much. And I just think overall, like Florida State, once again, we had this conversation last year with them. I think they hope to be healthier. Two years ago, they were decimated all year. Last year, they lose Jalen Ganey before the season starts um, to a a year-long injury. That was a player that they brought in that they expected to start and impact them defensively, which was something they struggled mightily with the year before. So the number one thing for them is just being healthier. And then obviously getting that waiver for Spears is uber important if they want to do some damage in the conference because the scoring options could be a little limited without him. Yeah, I think the problem, though, with Spears is that he has two conference wins in two years in college at Duquesne and Georgetown. I mean, he's basically been on some awful teams and – he, he's a really good scorer, but he's an ISO guy with mid-range that doesn't do much defensively. And the problem with Florida State I had was that they were just awful defensively on the perimeter, where they, and they were actually healthy in that regard. I mean, Matthew Cleveland, Darren Green, Jalen Worley, and then you lose Caleb Mills to, to Memphis. I'm not sure if that's a huge loss. But now, you know, with Chandler Jackson still suspended – you're basically need LaSalle transfer Josh Nickelberry to give you something on offense. Darren Green to sort of be like a consistent, good 15-point-per-game scorer with or without Prima Spears. And then how the front court works out, because you're going to have to bring in Ganey. We still don't know how he'll do in the ACC. Bob and Miller didn't really do much when he came back on the court after suspension, but you have to assume that he was just completely thrown for a loop, so last year didn't matter. But how he and Cameron Corhan, who was sort of a bright spot as a freshman, and in, uh, the return of Cameron Fletcher, who was actually pretty good for them before he got hurt. There's a lot of interesting pieces, but I don't know how they fit together. I don't know if the defense is going to come back. I don't know how the scoring is. I think the respect for Leonard Hamilton is why people won't put them in, the say, the, the bottom third of the league, but... I can see a scenario with or without Spears where they're still fighting to get back to the top half for the conference. Yeah, I feel like I picked them closer to their ceiling in like the 50 to 60 range than than I feel like I usually and I feel like I do with a lot of teams. And they definitely have a pretty low floor. But I think with Florida State, I also really like bringing in Jameer Watkins from VCU. That's a transfer that I think plays the game, plays really hard, really impactful player, even without putting the ball in the basket a ton. And I think I'm I'm banking on Baba Miller having a breakout season. This is a guy that has the size, has the versatility athletically 
to make an impact in a lot of different ways. I remember last year, Jonathan, we were what we were asking ourselves about Bobby Miller is can he be like soft like what sophomore John Butler would mm-hmm. have been? And obviously that didn't end up happening because he was hurt. But can he now be can he be sophomore John Butler? Like we're still asking that question. Probably won't be that good, but I think he'll be pretty good. Yeah. I mean that was the guy that we were talking about last year, last offseason as like an NBA prospect. Uh, right, right away. Like he's got a ton of tools that are intriguing and I'm excited to see if he can put it together. All right. Anything else on FSU? All right, let's keep going. So much of the top half of this league to be discussed and broken down here. And this is a fun one. Let's talk deep. Salem. I think... Steve Forbes is a great coach, but I think at some point you got to make the NCAA tournament to validate that. Is this the year? Uh, I mean, we have to see what the non-conference looks like. That's been Wake Forest's biggest problem. They've been fine in ACC play. They don't they did they don't usually get too many big wins or they don't get bad losses, but it's usually the poor non-conference scheduling that that they've had that sort of d- does them in. I think from a roster standpoint, the biggest questions is point guard and center. I mean, Efton Reed still needs to get a waiver after transferring from Gonzaga. I don't see – it's hard to see on paper how he'll get one. But if he doesn't get one, then, you know, Matthew Marshall was a, was a solid guy, but I'm not sure if he can give them enough interior defense – and then a point guard is it'll be either Boopy Miller from Central Michigan, who's who's been hurt past two years, or Hunter Salas, the former five-star guy that was a solid role play and defender at Gonzaga, but was sometimes a black hole offensively, never really had the ball in his hands. They're gonna have him play point guard, it seems, and there's optimism, but I'll be curious to see how it works. Him and Reed, because it's hard to see Mark Few failing. With, with former guys. So was that a misread on his end? And Steve Forbes can find another great transfer guy. if Because they're pretty good on the wings with Demario Monsanto and Andrew Carr. But I'm not so certain if they have the point guard or the front court play to sort of be a viable NCAA tournament contender just yet. But again, we didn't see Alondis Williams or even Tyree Appleby after he was in Florida look the way they did. So maybe we should give the benefit now and just assume that one of these ball handlers is going to give them 15-plus points per game and be on all ACC team. Yeah, and that's kind of the assumption that we've been working with this offseason, that Hunter Salas is going to have a huge breakout year because Steve Forbes has done it with transfer guards in the past. But we've talked about that scenario so much that I feel like we lose track of the other scenario where it doesn't happen and they don't really have a point guard. And... Is, and, I mean, also you look at Atuka is out for the season now. It's also not a true point guard, kind of a downhill bruising guard. And I do like Parker Fredrickson, the freshman that they brought in, but also not a point guard. There is a legitimate scenario here where this team doesn't have the playmaking to accentuate the wings with uh, Monsanto and with Carr and with Marsh and – this whole team around it. I think Carr can be a good piece in the front court for sure, whether he's going to provide 
as much rim protection as you'd get from Reed is definitely a question because Reed is if he, if Reed is playable, he's a high high level rim protector. He just wasn't he wasn't playable at Gonzaga last year because he kept fouling and he couldn't and he couldn't figure out anything on the offensive end. I think the keys for this team to succeed, even if they don't have a true point guard, it will rely on on Reed if he gets the waiver to be playable and effective at the five. Yeah. I think you guys hit on most of the key points that I wanted to, because I do like this team. I have them like pretty firmly in the bubble picture uh, to at least start the year. When I watched Hunter Salas, I, I see a player that is still really good defensively, still pretty athletic. Um, I just think in his case, Gonzaga's system revolves a, a lot around playing fast, which obviously suits Hunter Salas's skill set, but also like, it depends on shooters and frankly Hunter Salas shooting is not his best attribute. So I think Gonzaga and Mark few sort of just wanted to lean on other guys to more fit their system better. And, you know, like we mentioned, Steve Forbes has done great with transfer point guards who have really break, broken out in his system. And I think Salas is probably the most talented one of the three point guards that he's brought in through the portal. The other thing about that, Appleby and Williams, I believe, were both grad transfers at the time. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. Salas is a junior. So there's a lot less college experience compared to those two, but how much that matters, I'm not sure. I I also just think independent scenario where Salas is a different player from those two anyway. And He's it's still Steve Forbes transfer guard. He's going to be good, but it's not the same type of player that you look at with Appleby and with Alondis Williams. Moving on to the next team that we're going to talk about here. We got eight to go and still much of the top for this conference. And that won't Louisville will be better than last year. I can guarantee that much. But how much better? Oh, that's a tough question. Because if if Trey White, the USC transfer, is their best player, that doesn't – and I like him, but is he your number one guy? That that's It's a big problem to have. I mean, Sky Clark, he flamed out at Illinois. We don't know how much of a winning player he is. They do have Tyler Johnson academically eligible and uh, Coron Davis, a Juco transfer. So that's two more guards than they had last year, at least. That's one positive. Mike James is a really good shooter. He could finally play in his right position. They have front court depth. We'll see what the five-star Dennis Evans does. He might be a project guy. I don't know what kind of impact he has, but Brandon Huntley Hatfield is available. But Ultimately, I need to see if Kenny Payne can coach because outside of ruining Clemson's season, we saw nothing from him last year. I mean, they couldn't beat the Bellarmines. They couldn't beat anyone other than Western Kentucky, but I think that had that was more of a Stansbury issue in, in that matter. But we're going to have to see, first of all, can he coach because that that's still a question in his second year. There will be 
they won't be historically awful, but I think they could they could still finish in the bottom two of the conference. And for a program like Louisville to have that happen back to back years, I don't see how that how that can occur, and they don't make a change to sort of right the shift as soon as possible. Yeah, I want to believe in Kenny Payne, but I really have no reason to do so at this point in time. Uh, Sky Clark, that's a true point guard. That's something that L. Ellis was a guard, but was he a true point guard? Not really sure of that. You find you have a true point guard on this roster in Sky Clark. How good is he? He's probably one of the worst point guards in the ACC for a starter. That's at his median outcome, although his ceiling is fairly high. He's pretty shifty. Um, he can he can score at the rim in interesting ways, but Trey White probably ends up being his team's best player, as you mentioned. I am really interested to see Dennis Evans because this is this is going to be one of the best rim protectors in the conference immediately if he can stay on the floor, if he can limit his foul trouble. Dennis Evans is going to make a big impact, and that's a floor-raising thing that they just didn't have last year. There's nobody that impacted the game on the defensive end the way that Dennis Evans will. Yeah, I think overall, like, I don't think this team last year had, like, the absolute, like, worst players in the world. I just think they were extremely poorly constructed and extremely poorly coached. And I want to know, like, obviously they're not going to be 290th in Ken Palm again, but what about that is changing this year? Like, they're better constructed? I'm not sure. I'd call this roster well-constructed, though. Tristan, like you said, if Trey White's their best player, I think they could be in for a tough year. I think maybe their best outcome is Sky Clark being their best player. But, like, we talk about the roster last year. It's like Arkansas clearly saw something in L. Ellis to take him. Arizona State. Well, Arkansas sees something in everyone. That's true. Um Arizona State took Kamari Land. I think I think that's a great fit, by the way. We'll get into that later tonight. And like I know Sidney Curry transferred down, but player of the year in the WAC. Yeah, I was gonna mention, Sam, you've been talking about this Grand Canyon team all offseason. So we we I, I think we said earlier DJ Davis is one of the players I've talked about all offseason. Sidney Curry's another. And Ray. We, we we mentioned Jalen Withers with UNC. I don't necessarily think he's good, but cle- clearly UNC saw something to t- take a chance on him. So I just – this could be another tough year for Louisville. I'm just, like, looking for a sign with them that they're better coached. Yeah, I think that for Kenny Payne to save his job, he doesn't need to even get this team to 500. He, They just need to – they just need to have a pulse, I feel. Because if they have a pulse, if there's something to feel good about in this program, I think you give Kenny Payne a third year. Because he's he's still recruited at a high level. <laughs> and if he can figure out the roster construction thing eventually, I I think we don't really know what he is as a coach because he didn't really have players to – he didn't really have a, a team to coach last year. He had players to coach. He didn't really have a team to coach. And, yeah, he made the sandwich. But I'm going to – I really don't think – you can flat out get rid of him after two years unless there's just nothing to be positive about. Yeah, they only have three upperclassmen on the roster, so it's still a really young team. This one is better constructed 
But but again, the, the the standard for Louisville isn't to be in the bubble picture. It's to be in the tournament and honestly be in the, the top 15, top 20. That's where Rick Pitino had them. And luckily, I think they will settle for Louisville showing more effort and just being consistent because if you go from four wins to 16, 17 wins, it's kind of hard to let someone go. So I do agree that they'll give them a third year if they improve. But again, if they get embarrassed by Kentucky, if they don't do, if they don't get any kind of marquee wins other than one last year, which was Clemson, they need at least seven or eight to at least keep the discussion. Okay, we're improving, and just to see that the, the young players do well. Because if Sky Clark plays well, he can't go anywhere because he already transferred. Trey White can't go anywhere because he already transferred. So you have building blocks. You just have to show that you actually can develop them. Because if you can't then there's really no point in having them around. It's bringing someone else that actually can do it. And there, and are, yeah. and there are candidates that, that will gladly take Louisville. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And as I said, I think the NBA guys typically are really good at developing players. Kenny Payne's an NBA guy. I think giving him, uh, giving him some time to work this out, maybe he just starts developing these guys, Sky Clark and Trey White, and they become really good players long-term. But Year, year two for Kenny Payne, it's just going to be about showing a pulse. Showing a pulse. Give me something that I can look for. They win 12, 13 games this year. It's probably a good thing. Yeah, that'd be a nine-win improvement. Yeah, that would be significant. It would be a 300 percent This is a fun one. Virginia has been getting disrespected this offseason for some reason. I don't really get it. Like, people are downplaying how good these transfers are. Andrew Rohde averaged 17 as a freshman. Like, he can play. He's a, he's like a, he's a bigger guard that can facilitate, handle, shoot. He can do everything they need him to do. But just because he was playing at St. Thomas, like, people don't really realize how good he is. Yeah, I yeah. like – Oh, go ahead. So, I think bringing in Rhodey was a really good move because you can play him at the one. And, you know, he's a bigger guard. And, I, I, like, 17 points as a, as a freshman, no matter where you are, is – it's really notable. And what I like even more is that because he brought in Rhodey, you can play – Isaac McNeely in a role similar to what Tony Bennett did with Kyle Guy, where you're just moving him constantly off the ball through all these screens and actions. And then, you know, I think they're pretty deep too. Reese Beekman's going to be one of the best defensive players in the conference once again, in addition to being able to score the basketball. Their front court is where I do have some questions, but I think Ryan Dunn could take a leap forward. Jacob Groves and Jordan Minor, both veteran guys that, Virginia doesn't really need to score. They just need to rebound the basketball and defend. They'll set screens. Kind of, and Tony Bennett's never really been a guy at Virginia that's played through bigs anyway. So I think those guys are fairly good system fits. I think Virginia is going to be a lot better than some people think. Um, I'm also interested to see if any of these freshmen fit in. Elijah, Elijah Gertrude is a guy I like. Um, and then Leon Bond redshirted last year as well. Yeah, and then the 
I posed the question a few weeks ago, who is the most out there player that you can think of that you could make a coherent case could make an All-America team? And my answer was Isaac McNeely. There's a chance that he ends up being this team's leading scorer, scoring 15, 16, 17 a game with great shooting splits. He can score at the rim as well. And we know he's a good defender. We know this team defends well. If they finish as like a top 12-ish team and he's averaging 17 and 5, there's a case to be made that he could be an All-American. Obviously, I don't think that's the most likely scenario, but I, I have him on an All-ACC team. Yeah, I don't have anyone from Virginia on All-ACC team. Not even I, Big Blue? I, I, he's a great defender. I just don't – I think the belief that Kihei Clark took some of his – uh, uh, some of his usage and ability away, I just don't buy. Like, I think Beekman has a low has a low ceiling offensively. Like I, I think he'll be someone that gives you another 10, 10 and five year and, and and all ACC defender. But I'm not I'm not high on Virginia. And I think one, it, it, it's not an easy system to just easily come in and excel at. I mean, like, there's always going to be a period of adjustment. I don't know if Rody can defend at the ACC level. So he's going to have to be a double-digit scorer consistently to get on the court because if he's because if he's an issue, especially with him and Beekman together in the backcourt, I do wonder how that will work out. I like McNeely as a breakout candidate, but the problem is people have talked about Leon Bond as a breakout candidate. People have talked about Ryan Dunn, and you can only play assuming you don't you uh, assuming that you have two regular forwards. One of those guys is going to get buried on the bench. So what, what are you going to do with the wing situation? Because someone's going to have to emerge and find minutes. Like Jacob Groves was a starter on the worst Big 12 team. Like I don't think he's going to be much of an impact. And then Jordan Minor, co-defensive co, uh, player of the year, co-player of the year and defensive player of the year at Merrimack. But I don't have much respect for the NEC. Like I'm not a big believer that Josh Cohen's going to be great at UMass at the A10 level. I just thought I just feel like if you're asking him to sort of be the interior presence, it could get tricky. And I I, I do worry about both 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 sides of the ball. Do will will they find enough scoring somewhere? Like it, it, is McNeely a good enough number one option if Beekman doesn't grow? Is is Minor good enough defensively? Or the freshman bigs that they brought in? They're probably going to have to get a lot of minutes as well. I just think that losing four starters and then a few other key bench pieces that there's it's going to take a long it's going to take a while for this team to sort of get used to Tony Bennett's system. And in the meanwhile, it's going to make them very vulnerable. And I believe they play uh, Florida in the first week of the season. They play somebody notable. That's going to be a really nice test because if they're not ready, I could see them taking quite a few else in in non-con play. Yeah, and I think what people forget about Reese Beekman is that he is one of he was the fortieth uh, he had the fortieth highest assist rate in the country last year. It is thirty two percent assist rate. This is a guy that is a high level playmaker, even if he's not scoring a ton. So I think I think Beekman's offensive game kind of gets undersold in that department. And now with Rody coming in, there's more playmaking. I'm interested to see what happens to Dante Harris because this is a double-digit score at Georgetown. I don't think he'll play that much, but it's a scoring punch that will come off the bench at some point. 
Um, I do like Ryan Dunn as a depth big uh, slash four man. And I agree with you that I don't think Josh Cohen is going to translate that well, but I think Jordan Minor scales up better than Cohen does. He's he's much more physical on that defensive end. He's he averaged 17 and nine. He's not going to average 17 and nine. But if you get like eight and six from him, that's fine. And I think he's totally capable of doing that. Anything else on Virginia? No. All right, let's keep spinning that wheel. All right, finally we can talk about Syracuse. It's going to be a fun year up here in the 315. Red Autry, his first year as head coach. After 47 years of a 2-3 zone, Syracuse will be switchable. Syracuse will be versatile. Syracuse will be just different defensively. And offensively, they'll be different as well. But start off with the defense. This is a long athletic Syracuse team, most athletic team they've had in a few years. And if you have a lineup that has Malik Brown, Benny Williams, Chris Bell as your front court with, uh, J.J. Starling and Judah Mintz, that is a legitimate defensive lineup that can scare people. If Brown, because I think Brown can be a great small ball five, and Autry wants to use him as a small ball five. Obviously, McLeod will still get plenty of run as the seven foot four behemoth of a human being that he is. I think that the shooting on this roster is really solid with. Justin Taylor off the bench as well. There's great positional size in the guards. There's scoring from the guards. There's playmaking from a guy like Mintz. And if Benny Williams, Chris Bell can take a step forward offensively, really only one of them needs to take a big step forward offensively. This team could be looking at a tournament appearance. I think the problem with Syracuse the past couple of years has not just been the system, but the players within it. I think what Jim Beheim used to do so well was he would recruit players and get players into his program that were really good fits in the, that two, three zone. And I feel like he kind of went away with, from that. Like I never understood why they took Gerard. He was a very poor fit in that system. Um, and just, they used to be so long and athletic and they just weren't the past couple years. I think to Red Autry's credit, they've done a lot better job getting in more athletic players, to put it bluntly. And I do think they'll, they will be a lot better this year. I think they probably have two all-ACC caliber players for sure in Mintz and Starling. Maybe a third if one of those other freshmen from last year that are now sophomores emerge, or maybe a Benny Williams. And I'm really interested to see how they adjust to not playing 2-3 zone. Yeah, and the, there's good depth in the backcourt with Chance Westry and Quadir Copeland. Uh, the one concern, though, is if you have to go big in the front court, and if McLeod I, – because I don't, I don't know what to think of McLeod. <laughs> I don't know. I don't think Munir Hima, Peter Carey, or William Patterson – is that much of a viable option either in the front court. So the best 
the best the best route for Syracuse is with Malik Brown at the five. Yeah, I think another interesting part about Syracuse is they added two former top 50 prospects in, in Kyle Cuff and Chance Restory. Both of them didn't play last year. If either one of them can give them anything, then all of a sudden their guard depth is great. I, I think the partnership with Judah Mintz and J.J. Starlin has potential, but it also has downsides because, again, neither of them are true point guards in terms of facilitating the offense. Both like to get the ball and go. And it could just be another, you know, pairing with, with drawer just in a different way because neither of them are great shooters. I, I think if 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 Judah Mintz just develops any kind of three-point shot, he could be Which all American. Towards candidate. the end of the season last year. Yeah. Although, you know, there's little pressure because none of those games truly matter. So it was just, yeah, you know, throwing them up. Hey, so, Jesse Edwards made a three. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and, and losing him is is definitely going to hurt because McLeod's seven foot four, but you you can absolutely terrorize him in a pick and roll. Monir here, Hema isn't really an ACC guy. So I think they're going to need Malik Brown to, 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 to take the next step. Benny Williams was fine, but I think he's just more of a role player. I am curious on what Justin Taylor and Chris Bell's going to do, because those are guys that have the real chance to take a sophomore leap. I think Syracuse roster with a regular experience head coach, I think I could make the case of them being in the tournament. I just have to, to wait and see what happens with Autry, because he is coming from the Bayheim regime, and I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing yet. Yeah, I, I I can see that. Now, here's a question for you, for both of you guys. Who do you think is Syracuse's third leading scorer this year? Because I lean I think, Chris Bell. Yeah. I, I think Bell. I'm going to go Bell. Chris Bell or Benny Williams, and I lean Bell. Mm-hmm. For them to be good, it has to be Bell, because Williams has a ceiling. Like we, We've seen enough from Benny yeah. Williams to know that if he's their third best player, they're not making the tournament. Yep, I think that's I think that's I think I can get with you on that for sure. But I think this team has a fairly high ceiling because this backcourt, if you get this backcourt in the tournament and if they're rolling, this backcourt can match up with anyone in the country. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, another part of Mintz is that his decision making has to improve because there was I would argue four or five games that he in the last minute cost them by making an errant decision, either just trying to run down the middle and make it take a bad shot or turning the ball over. Like there was a lot of close games Syracuse was in that Mintz, you know, to his credit, wanted the ball in his hands to make a move, but it didn't work out. He's going to have to improve from that level. And that's just sort of the decision-making that a, a, a quote-unquote point guard has to have if he wants to take his game to a next level because he has all the intangibles and all the ability besides the shooting. We just have to see him make the right play so that Syracuse can win those 50-50 battles at the end. Yeah, and I think it's important to remember that was a freshman making freshman mistakes. And if he's still making freshman mistakes as a sophomore, then there's gonna then we're gonna call it into question. But I think we'll see a drastic decrease in those types of moments. Um moving forward to the five teams to go a bunch of big names out there. All right, Coach L, Miami. Let's do this. So you lose Isaiah Wong, but, I mean, this is 
this is still a super talented Miami roster, even as thin as it is. Yeah, I think, and I say this with a lot of respect for the Miami program, but the but with the ACC being down, I think like they've taken the perfect opportunity to use the system to win in the regular season as well as the tournament. Because I think in a situation where they're in a league or where they're in an ACC in 2019, 2018, like the late 2010s, this small ball really could get exposed by teams that can put in predetermined game plans and scout them really well. Um, I do think that they're a contender at the top of the league, and I think they've done an awesome job reloading. But for me, I think Miami is anywhere from like a top 15 to top 30 team in the regular season and really with an emphasis on the fact that like they are built for March because the shooting and the guard play that they have. I know they lost Isaiah Wong. I really like the addition of Matthew Cleveland. I, I, I know the defensive numbers say what they do from his time in Florida State, but when I watch him guard, I really think there's some potential there, and he was just in a bad system. I don't think he's an elite defender, but I think he can be not a negative like he was at Florida State on that end, and I think with the spacing that Miami provides, he could have a huge leap on the offensive end and really be maybe an all-American candidate and definitely an all-ACC type guy. Yeah, I think Cleveland might be one of those rare players that is actually going to be better off at the four because I don't think he can guard traditional guards. He just really struggled at that playing the three for Florida State. I think him being the four will work out and he'll have the spacing. My yeah. Yeah, I think my biggest concern with Miami, and knock on wood, but if anything happens North Chad O'Meara, they have no front court. It is literally down to three-star Michael uh, Nwoko, and who knows if he's a, a playable ACC player. If he And if he's not any good, they'll have to play Matthew Cleveland as a small ball five. That's how little front court depth they have. We don't know if A.J. Casey is going to be a factor for them. They have a ton of guards, Buda Poplar, Nigel Pack, uh, Ja'Kai Robinson, Christian Watson. Then they have the two international freshmen. I think everyone's really high on uh, Kashawn George. So they can run four-guard offenses with the best of them. And Omir, who is one of the very rare undersized big men that transfers up and, and is still a double-double machine because his energy is relentless. That, that, was it, that would allow him to be so productive. But Miami's going to be small a lot of times. Their defense was very mediocre. And we saw that in, in the comeback loss to Florida State when they just gave up 50 points in the final 15 minutes of that game. So they're a team that has a really high ceiling because Nigel Pack's one of the best shooters in the country. But their floor, I think, is a lot lower than we want to admit because I think everyone has them two or three in the ACC because they have probably one of the best starting lineups. But they absolutely can be vulnerable to just about any team with any kind of semblance of an offensive game because they're, they're, I don't see them being better defensively and they're quietly average last year. Yeah. And I'm not like, I'm not one to predict injuries by any means, but like you can't like, if this is basketball, you don't stay healthy forever. And it's like much as I'd like to say, like, I really like Miami starting five. If they do have an injury or two, 
specifically in the front court, which is very thin, like that's where you really get into trouble. Yeah, I look at Miami and I see a team that is, yeah, super thin. But it's super talented and the, it's a formula that has worked. Guards that can create shots. Nigel Pack is one of the best guards in the country. He can shoot the crap out of the ball. He can play make. He's, I mean, obviously there's no one like Isaiah Wong to compliment him on this roster. Poplar and Bensley Joseph are solid players, but there's no um, there's no Isaiah Wong, so maybe the ceiling's a little bit lower. But Matthew Cleveland is a like plug and play perfect replacement. Like I like we're gonna talk about the Big Twelve preview of the Kansas State transfers as some of the best transfer fits, one for one replacements in the country. Um, Matthew Cleveland is right up there as a perfect one for one transfer fit for Jordan Miller and honestly he's probably even better defensively on that end I would say but again at the end of the day there's less shot creation on this team than there was last year and I Kaishan George I do want to say that's probably going to be an impact piece for them but outside of that there's really nothing on this bench that gets me excited at all All right, let's see who's next on this spin. We have four more to go, and we're going to be talking about Micah Shrewsbury and the Fighting Irish. I think I'm going to say is the worst team in this conference. I, I agree with that statement. I My question isn't even worst team in the conference. Are they better than Oregon State? as the worst power conference team. We'll talk about Oregon State a little <laughs> bit later because that team sucks too. But, like, yeah, this is, like, Notre Dame is probably worse than, like, UCF is. They're probably worse than Minnesota. They're probably worse than anyone in the SEC. Yeah, it's probably, like, Oregon State. And we both think DePaul's really, really bad as well. So, yeah, but... Notre Dame's worse than that, I'd say. So, yeah, Notre Dame, they're really, really bad. Yeah. Like, I think I like Micah Shrewsbury as a coach a lot, but I was just, like, so confused what his plan was in the offseason. Like, Notre Dame's best three players this year, legit chance it's going to be Northwestern transfer, who was hurt last year. Uh, freshman, who is maybe, like, borderline top 50 kid at best in a not so good freshman class and then a sophomore big who played 35 percent of possible minutes last year at Penn State and had a 98.8 offensive rating like if this team is not in the bottom three in the ACC Micah Shrewsbury coaches ass off if this seems if this team's not the worst team in the ACC, Micah Shrewsbury deserves a lifetime contract. I do like Kevin Jai, though. I will say, I think that's I think he's a breakout candidate for this team. I don't think there's anything else to say about Notre Dame, really. They're, they're... Yeah, I mean, I think they they made the case of let's not bring in one year rentals and take minutes away from the underclassmen. Let's just take our growing pains now. 
Yeah, they already have a really good 2024 class. Ultimately, they're, they're not going to be good, but at least there's a plan with them. All right. Three more teams to go. We'll probably cover two of them pretty quickly and one of them a little bit deeper. I think we'll go a little deeper on this one. Uh, let's talk Let's talk about you. John Shire in year two with Tyrese Proctor coming back, Jeremy Roach coming back, um, and Kyle Filipowski obviously coming back. That's three legitimate All-America contenders, the way that we've seen these guys play through the years. Roach was excellent last year. Proctor made Tennessee look not like Tennessee, and Filipowski was one of the best players in the ACC. Yeah, uh, I thought it was a really weird year for Duke. You know, we came into the year with the expectation that Derek Whitehead and Derek Lively, maybe not Lively because we kind of knew his offensive game wasn't going to fully be there, but we came into the year with the expectation that Derek Whitehead was going to be an All-ACC player and maybe an All-American candidate as one of the best NBA prospects in the country. And Whitehead struggled with injuries last year to start the year it never really seemed like his mobility was fully there and duke was already kind of playing the way they were when whitehead finally was getting accustomed to the system and what they were doing so there's your potential best player that you don't get even close to what you maybe thought you were going to get out of him and you know duke still manages to go on a run at the end of the year they played really well over the final month and a half and they get the five seed in the NCAA tournament. Tough losing Mark Mitchell in practice the day before you play Tennessee. Mitchell's a super physical wing that probably would have helped them a lot, specifically with guarding Olivier Kamwa in that game. But specifically towards this year's team, my one reservation about them is front court defense. And it's not particularly in the conference because there's not that many like interior bigs that scare me in the ACC. But when you get to the tournament, can Kyle Filipowski guard and stay out of foul trouble against some of the better bigs in the country? The guard play is going to be ridiculous. I think Tyrese Proctor is a legitimate All-American that it may it has a chance to be the best point guard in the country. I thought what he did as a reclass freshman on a team that was dealing with injuries and growing pains was pretty damn impressive, and I expect him to break out in a huge way. Uh, Jeremy Roach, nice to have a veteran like that in the locker room. He's kind of transitioned to an off-ball guard over the course of his college career, which I think is probably a better fit for him because he's not nearly as good of a passer as Tyrese Proctor. And then Duke's pretty deep as well, which is something you didn't really see a lot of uh, when Coach K was there. You bring back Ryan Young. Good front front court piece. Um, Jared McCain, we'll Caleb Foster. You have all these freshmen coming in. Uh, I think McCain's probably going to start for them. But you bring, yeah, like you mentioned, Stewart off the bench gives you some front court depth. Depth Foster off the bench gives you some back court depth. And then we'll see how uh, Jaden Shoot and Christian Reeves fit in here as well. I think Duke is Duke's my number one team in the, in the entire country right now. I think with Kyle Filipowski. This is my pick for National Player of the Year. He can do so much offensively, so much defensively. He's going to put up obnoxious numbers, and he's 
he's got so much in his bag for a guy that size. I loved him coming out of high school. I still love him as a player. I think Duke is super lucky that he didn't end up going to the draft. And you look at Proctor, this is a guy that he's not, he's just now the age of a regular college freshman, and he already has a year under his belt playing big minutes for a for a team that for a Duke team that was not great, but pretty darn good. And he showed his talent. He can he makes shots from all different places on the court. McCain's McCain's gonna be one of the best shooters in the country. Um, Stewart and Mitchell provide physicality on the wings and in the front court. Again, I do I do see the concerns with front court defense, but I think Filipowski's an excellent defender overall. Yeah, I think my biggest question is just is John Shire the guy for the guy to take them to the final four and beyond because it's it's incredibly rare for a team like Duke to return basically five starters and have four or five stars coming off the bench. And they have all the pieces. Who knows if any of the freshmen break out, which will only just make them into probably the team to beat in March. But the way they got manhandled by Tennessee, a physical team from the SEC, sort of left a bad taste in my mouth because they kind of got punked in, in that game, even without Mark Mitchell. Just It, it was a weird way for them to go down. So I, I, I'm going to be curious how they look in the non-con against some of the top opponents they face and what they'll do because they're, because North Carolina, despite their struggles, they were still going to be the team everyone was hunting because of that preseason number one ranking. It's going to be Duke's turn. Duke's going to take everyone's best shot, and I'm curious on what they're going to do, if they can run through the ACCC and get that regular season title, or if they slip up a few times and let a team like Miami or someone more experienced like a Virginia or North Carolina take it from them. So I am going to be interested to see the motivation levels of Duke because everyone's going to expect them to get to the Final Four this year. Yeah, and I think – and I, I think you have you make a valid point with Shire still hasn't proven it, but I think you look at some of the you, you look at it, I mean Hubert Davis made a Final Four, and I don't think it takes I, I think it, I, I don't think it takes the greatest coach ever to make the Final Four or make a deep tournament run with the amount of talent on this roster, and I do think John Shire is a good coach. I think. He coached pretty well last year, even though the team subverted expectations. Just the amount of injuries that they had to work through. They never really gelled as a unit the way that they should have. But they came together in interestingly different ways. And I was pretty impressed overall with John Shire as a coach last year. And I think they'll be much more physical on the wings with Sean Stewart and Mark Mitchell this year this year compared to what they were against Tennessee. I also think that I mean, it's it's apparent, and Sam, I've talked to you about this. It's pretty apparent that like Shire has come in and established that this is like his program. This isn't just like a kind of leftover of what Coach K finished with when he retired. You know, the last couple years of the Coach K era at Duke, it was a lot of ISO ball. And to Coach K's credit, he recruited players that could play in those types of systems, but you know, like the first play of Duke season last year, they came out and ran a backdoor lob. So, like, running sets is, and they run a lot more actions than they did previously. It's very interesting to see. 
All right, we have two more teams to go. We'll probably go over them pretty quickly because we are running out of time. Packer, NC State. We'll talk. All right, so NC State was an interesting team last year. They did make the NCAA tournament. They did lose their two top players, Jarkel Joyner and Terquavion Smith. But they bring in uh, DJ Horn. They bring in Jaden Taylor. What do we think of NC State? Uh, you know, they. I, I feel like they kind of brought in guys who were lesser version of the ones they lost because they had ball-dominant shooters that could be inefficient at times, but Jarkel Joyner and Jarkavian Smith were just good enough to take them to the dance. Marcel was was – I think is one of the more quiet players that people don't talk about, but he's really good. But, you know, Horn was inefficient where he was at. Uh, Jaden Taylor will come from Butler. MJ Rice is a guy that I had as a breakout candidate, but he hasn't even been at practice with the program in the past month. So who knows what kind of impact he'll have because they don't really have a four. They might try to put Ben Middlebrooks there, but I assume that they would just do four guard offenses. They'll, they'll be – Okay, because uh, they, they still got the big man, DJ Burns, and I think they'll, they'll have enough good offensive games, but this team spells, they, they, they look like they're going to be inefficient a lot, which I think will be a good recipe to be on the bubble. All right. Yeah. Um, real, real quick, I'll just throw in um, my two cents because I know we're short on time. Uh, I think DJ Burns is one of the more – interesting players in the country I'd call you can him. say it i mean he backs guys down from the perimeter like how many how many guys do that and you know tristan i think you said it perfectly like guys like dj horn casey marcel could be just worse versions of what they had last year um and then i think mj rice being with the program and playing well and breaking out is where they reach their ceiling all right, Virginia Tech, let's talk Hokies pretty briefly. I don't – I mean, you got Sean Badula, Hunter Couture. They're both back. Um, bring in Tyler Nickel. You bring in Robbie Barron. But overall, this is still probably a middle-of-the-pack ACC team. Yeah, I mean, Justin Mutz, regardless of stats, was probably one of the most five important players in the ACC the past couple years because he could truly do it all for them. Losing him and the guy in Grant Basile, who who quietly was elite offensively, that's going to hurt them. They they weren't good defensively at at times, and that backcourt still suspect. If Rodney Rice, though, the the wing who was hurt for them last year, if he can be a breakout candidate, then they're going to have one of the top backcourts in the ACC. Again, I just don't know where they're going to get the front court production because I don't think Barron or Lynn Kidd is going to do it for them. We'll see what Mech, uh, Mechie Long, the old Dominion transfer, who's sort of like a mini version of Justin Mutz, if he can have, if he can have an impact, great. But I think they'll, they'll be bad enough defensively but good enough offensively to where they'll, they'll be in the bubble conversation. Okay. Jonathan? Yeah. Um, I think Virginia Tech, to make the NCAA tournament, they need breakouts from definitely either Rodney Rice or MJ Collins, if not both. Uh Robbie Barron felt like that, that addition felt like they were just checking a box almost like he's a front court player, but doesn't really resemble what you want in a front court player. 
I do like Padula. Uh, Hunter Couture, I think, gets a little overhyped still because of his ACC championship game two years ago. But nonetheless, very good shooter. Uh, one of the best in the conference. I think, yeah, I- I'm going to say that if Rice or Collins and both break out, that probably puts them in the NCAA tournament picture. All right. To close out the show, who is your pick for ACC Freshman of the Year? Uh, I can start here. My ACC Freshman of the Year, and I know I'm taking a chance here because he's a reclass, but I really like Elliot Cadell. I think him playing that point guard position for UNC is going to be so important for their improvement and the development of their roster. I think he does such a good job of setting guys up and is one of the best facil- was one of the better facilitators I had watched since I had starting started watching incoming college freshmen. Uh, yeah, Elliot Cadeau, freshman of the year for me. The I agree. I have Cadeau as the freshman of the year. I think he fits a major need. He could end up having a 28-ish assist rate this year for North Carolina, and they badly, badly need that. Tristan? Yeah, I'm going to go with – and I'll pick one, but I think either Kayla Foster or Jarrett McCain of Duke is going to be an ACC player because I think one of them is going to start, assuming they move Filipowski to the five. But look out for Marcus Burton in Notre Dame because I think he just might accidentally average 15 points per game as a guy who just gets all the shots for Notre Dame team and just has the stats to win. All right. I accidentally average 15. I, I love that. Uh, who's your pick for defensive player of the year? Uh, defensive player of the year for me in the ACC is Armando Baycott. I like usually going with big men for these awards because, yes, I know threes are worth more than twos, but obviously the layup is a much easier shot, and I think rim protection will always be the more crucial part of, of defense. I think Baycott's one of the best rim protectors in the country, and I'll, I'll take him over guys like Beekman and Omir was the other guy I considered for this. Yeah, Omir's in the conversation for me. Baycott's in the conversation for me. I mean, even I think in the in the context of the ACC, Filipowski is in the conversation as well. But at the end of the day, Beekman is he shuts he shuts down your best player. He's he's Mister Off Night. Yeah, and, and not only is Beekman my pick, but he's now going to have to automatically get the best defensive assignment every night. There are some times where you could, if there were smaller guards, sort of put Clark on them to sort of give him a break. This time around, especially if Rhodey is his backcourt partner, that Beekman's going to have to take on every top guard. And he's shown that he's more capable of succeeding night in, night out. All right, final. Who is your pick for ACC Player of the Year? I like to take a couple chances on my on my conference players of the year every year, and I'm, I'm going to go. We talked about how good of a fit Matthew Cleveland is at Miami. I know this probably sounds outrageous based on some of the stuff that happened at Florida State with them defensively, but I really do think that the Miami system is going to be very kind to him, and he's just a major breakout candidate for me. I, I said Kyle Filipowski is my pick for National Player of the Year. And he's my pick for ACC Player of the Year as well. But don't sleep on Judah Mintz for ACC Player of the Year. If this Syracuse team is as good as we think it can be, Judah Mintz, the way he shot the ball towards the end of last year, the development that he can take from freshman to sophomore, it could be a Jaden Ivey-type jump. 
Yeah, I feel like Filipowski, I think the one thing that could stop him from winning it is if there's a conversation between him and Tyrese Proctor for it because they could they could very well cancel each other out. I think my dark horse would be uh, P.J. Hall because I think if the narrative comes with Clemson finishes in the top four and they're a surefire NCAA tournament team, then they could very well give it to him instead of giving it to either Filipowski or Baycott. Okay. I think uh, that's fair. I have PJ Hall definitely on an all ACC team. Uh, and who's your pick to win the league? Has to be Duke. I, I think it, it, it's Duke until someone shows that they can be better than them in a 20 game marathon. And I think we're all in agreement. Duke is the favorite to win this conference. Yeah. All right. That's, that's it. We'll see you in 20 minutes for the pack 12. Thank you, Tristan so much for joining us. We'll definitely look to get you on at some point during the season. Talk Duquesne maybe a little bit there because we both think they're going to be pretty good in the A-10, and we love the A-10, the zero-bid league. Um, the ACC is not a zero-bid league, but it's looked like it at times over the past few years. And we'll see you for the Pac-12 very shortly.